Good morning. 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 Come on, Jeff. Here we go. One, two, three, four. Good morning. Welcome to the Roundtable. Ronnie, I'm so glad you're here, but you are not in your normal seat. You're moving toward the parking lot. Trying to get to the back. Okay. So we had a leadership meeting last week. Clyde, good to see you here too. Had a leadership meeting last week. And Phil has, in his infinite wisdom, has shared that we really should start having community for about 10 minutes ahead of our program. It would help encourage those guys that get here at 7.05 to get here at 6.45. So for you, those of you that are here at what we would consider to be the normal time, if you would share with that guy that comes in in about 15 minutes, that it would be nice if he gets here about 6.45, kind of have coffee and chicken biscuits and sausage biscuits and community time a little bit ahead of this. Uh, Phil tells me that from the time I sit down to the time the film clip ends, the music starting, the attendance grows by 50%. Yep. So today, I want to test that. I'm going to go stand in the back and see how many people show up after I sit down. I'm thinking maybe it's me. <laughs> Bailey, don't give me any confidence. I'm thinking it's me, Bailey. Could it be me that they're avoiding? Avoiding me. All right, we got some pictures from Deer Camp. Progress is being made. September's Deer Camp is around the corner. We have a work weekend this weekend for Deer Camp alumni, those that can help out. Uh, Josh Robles is putting together some, some efforts this weekend and trying to clean up, uh, spraying Roundup, killing weeds, cutting some firewood, trimming back some limbs, doing general pickup, just trying to get it ready for, uh, for the deer camp in September. That's a beautiful sight. This is a new cooking pavilion. The big openings you see on the porches uh, are going to be uh, garage doors that will lift open. So if the weather gets inclement, if it gets really cold, you can close the doors down and meet in there. Otherwise, open the doors up and expand the floor space so that you've got a way of accommodating more men in that setting as well as in the pavilion. That is really going to be nice. I'm looking forward to that. You know, in a leadership meeting, Phil uh, made a comment to me. He said, Joe, he said, man, I like the way you're using scripture that comes out of the Deer Camp manual. Keep pounding that. Keep working on that. Okay. Made me nervous as I'll get out. I had no idea that I was using scripture out of the deer camp manual. But I told him this morning. Yeah, blind squirrel. I told him this morning, you know, last week I mentioned about uh, God speaking to you. It's kind of interesting how God speaks. He always speaks. The question is, are you listening? And so as we continue in the series about the man behind the mask and revealing the mask third thursday in a row daily scripture out of a bible app that i use is a deer camp scripture psalms 119 jeff if you want to put it 30 through 32. i'm feeling terrible i couldn't feel worse get me on my feet again you promised, remember? When I told my story, you responded. When I told my story, you responded. Train me well in your deep wisdom. 
Help me understand these things inside and out so I can ponder your miracle wonders. My sad life's dilapidated, a falling down barn. Build me up again by your word. Barricade the road that goes nowhere. Grace me with your clear revelation. I choose the true road to somewhere. I post your road signs at every curve and corner. I grasp and cling to whatever you tell me. God, don't let me down. I'll run the course you lay out for me if you'll just show me how. Deer camp. It's a place that you can reveal yourself in a safe setting with other men who have done the same thing. I attended deer camp this past spring. It had been the first time I'd been there in about 12 years. And I heard things in Phil's story that I hadn't heard before. And I said something to him about it. I thought, man, I, I, I thought I knew these things. And he said, yeah, in the right time. In the right time. If you come to deer camp and you tell your story, you don't have to get into the muddiest of muddy things. But it's a way to begin to open up. I encourage those of you that have not been to attend. We have members of the leadership team that have not been. We're encouraging them to show up. Reveal the mask. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of gathering here. I thank you for my brothers that are here, for the families that are represented. I thank you for C Spire, for the breakfast that's provided. More than anything, thank you for the work you did on the cross. Reconciling us to God the Father. May you bless our time this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>
and um, was just so sobered when Jesus began to touch him and he realized what he was doing to another human being and what was being done to other um, image bearers of God, created by God for his glory. And it brought him to tears. And I love the different episodes that we've watched in the Amazing Grace movie um, of where he's talking with William Wilberforce and he's just in tears. And to sit down and pen out this hymn and be brought to tears, I believe, um, is the way uh, that is an appropriate response to the words and the power and the truth of amazing grace that we would be brought to tears. So this morning, tears are especially welcome. May you hear the voice of God. Oh, if 
that was only all of the men and the women in the church on a Sunday morning. Wouldn't that be cool? Sing Amazing Grace and pass the Kleenex. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Follow with me as we dig in um, to our introductory paragraph. Free to be a man. Take the mask off and ride the open range of grace. Many men try to hide and pretend they are not broken. But this only leads to more hiding, pretending, and despair, and nothing ever changes. We fear that God is almost never pleased. This study will lead us into the light between two different underlying motives, our determination to please God or to trust him. One results in a striving that never feels it has done enough to please him. Never enough, never enough, never enough. The other results in a trust that experiences his full pleasure. Our motives as Jesus followers will either keep us enslaved in our hiding or free us into God's adventure for our lives. Let's discover the open road of grace together right on. And this morning, uh, we're looking at just the topic, grace works. It really, really works. I've seen it. I've seen it. Um, so before um, we do some journaling and answering some questions, I want you to draw this with me again. So try to uh, find, a, find a blank spot uh, in your journal there or uh, on your notes and draw this with me. So first of all, I want you to consider the guilt or the hurt that you carry. The guilt that comes from what you've done um, in your own sin, that you are the carrier of sin. Um, I am guilty. And then I want you um, to consider for a minute the hurt that has been done to you because of somebody else's sin. And that's the response that we have. I either feel guilty or I feel hurt. And then this, then this idea of this process, what is my motive of what I do, even in relationship to God, what do I value, and what action will I take? <laughs> Last week I asked you, why, why do you even come to Men's Roundtable? Why are you here this morning? What do you really value, and what action will you take because of your value? Um, and there's two paradigms that we're working with. The idea of pleasing God or the idea of trusting God. This we call pleasing God, we call the room of good intentions
And this over here, we just call the place or the room of grace. If you are operating out of the pleasing God paradigm, then your value will be striving to do good. I want to be good, striving to be good. And certainly nothing wrong with that in one sense. But the problem with that is that you will begin to take the action of sin management. I'm going to manage my sin. I'm going to try to sin less. I'm going to do better, do better, do better, do better. And guys, I have been walking with God as best I know how for many years, and I've seen many men uh, fall by the wayside by trying to operate right here. Well-intentioned, very involved in church and things of building the kingdom of God. But when you start trying to serve God and you're pleasing God and you're trying to not sin, you're really not sinning, I'm going to do better, that, that looks great. A lot, of, a lot of people, I could, we could put that up um, in a group of um, uh, Christian men, and they would say, wow, yeah, uh, sign me up. That, that's what I'm doing. Guys, that will not work. The Christian life is impossible. It's impossible. It's why it's so easy to get discouraged. Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes right in the middle of that chapter, don't get discouraged in doing good. God will work it out but he doesn't want our sin management. He doesn't want our performance. He doesn't want that. He wants our heart. And so if you're operating on this side of the ledger, you've got to start with, first of all, who I am or who am I? Your, your identity in Christ is absolutely critical. You're already, through the blood of Jesus, everything that God wants you to be. And so it's the idea then of living out what we are. And so my value becomes uh, living out who God says I am. And, and, if, and if I ever stood before you uh, with this idea of uh, this performance, I would, I would, I would be wrong. Um, I would be setting myself up for failure. I don't stand before you uh, because I'm trying to manage my sin. I stand before you as a sinner uh, who God has covered in his mercy and grace in the blood of Jesus. I am so glad to be here. But dude, if you hear of things that I have done or not done um, that are not according to God's word, I assure you it's a lot worse than what you've heard. You, you don't even know. A lot worser. 
And my fifth grade English teacher is turning over in her grave right now. So, so the action then is being able to stand with God with my sin and being a part of a team working together. I trust God. I'm broken. I live in community. Um, I sat with a, with a young guy um, yesterday and I said, tell me the three guys that I could invite in here in your life and they could tell me 90 to 95% of your story. He could come up with one. And I said, you know, I'm so glad you've come to sit with me, but you know, I'm pretty good at this. I've been, I don't like for confidence. I'm not nearly as good as I'd like to be. And I'm not, I assure you, I'm not nearly as good as you think I am, but I don't like for confidence. But I want to tell you right now that as much as I want to help you, and I think I can help you, you will be better served by finding the other two guys and putting your team together and starting to work out of that team idea so that if I really wanted to know who you are, um, that I could just ask your three buddies and they would tell me what's going on with you. I believe that. I, I believe that the young man who sat before me last night uh, was more struggling in his life because he actually is operating unknowingly more out of this side than just being able to receive the grace of God and live over here with other men who are broken and a lot of his anxieties and fears would go away and be absorbed through the team. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Now, guys, I, I want to suggest to you that this room of grace, this is what we do as best we know how at our men's coaching weekend. This is, this is deer camp over here. Not, not perfectly, and it's, and it's not the only place that you can experience God's grace. I'm not, not, you know, don't, don't misquote me, you know. I could start a cult, I guess, if I wanted to, but I don't like Kool-Aid. Some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about. So. That's an, all, all of my jokes get older and older, you know. They're stuck in the 70s. But, but this idea of the room of grace is, is, is what we try to create at the weekend so that, so that guys are free and, and they can stop operating out of this performance. This is legalism. This is why the, the, the book of Galatians was written by Paul to overcome this idea and reestablish faith or trust in God as the only way that we really bring honor to him and healing to our hearts. It's by grace. So with that in mind, I've got three questions for you. Pick up your pen and let's go to work. So question number one, I would ask you this. What is the story of your own deepest trauma and sadness from guilt or hurt? I want you to, to much like uh, Joe was talking about from Psalm 119, telling your story, 
just kind of in, in, in your own heart this morning, I want you to identify your own guilt, what I have done that I'm ashamed of. What, what would be hard for me to come up uh, and stand beside Phil and with a hundred men uh, acknowledge what I feel guilty about? Um, I had a man uh, say to me the other day, uh, you know, again, uh, he's um, trying to rebuild his marriage. He and his wife were sitting in my counseling office and he's saying, you know, um, I just can't forgive myself. And I said, well, good. I don't think, I don't think that's possible. Because I think that when a man says, I can't forgive myself, you know what I think he's really struggling with? Shame. Shame. And certainly he needs to be forgiven, but forgiveness is something that we receive, and it's something that is experienced in the context of the room of grace. When you share that which you feel guilty about openly, transparently, vulnerably, courageously, and a group of men look at you and say, Welcome. We are glad you're here. And man, I'm telling you, I've seen, I've seen shame absorbed and forgiveness received in that room of grace, guilt. So the second thing I want you to write down is in terms of hurt, what has been done to you? What has been done to you? that you have a hard time not receiving forgiveness, but offering forgiveness. I need to forgive that person in my life. That's hurt and that's real. Guilt, what I have done, hurt what has been done to me. And guys, that's, that's so much of our story. That's, that's real. So then question number two, who are you in God's eyes? I want you to write down three things that would be true about you as you consider yourself living um, in this room. Who are you? What does the Bible say? I am. I am. I am. I am. I am. In my journaling time um, each morning, this is part of how I start out. I start out because, man, I've got the monkey brain going on, and I feel as far away from God uh, as you can imagine. I don't wake up praising Jesus. I don't. It's like I'm, I'm, an, I'm a morning person, so I like getting up, but I've got the crazy anxiety going on in my head, and I have to get my pen on the, on the piece of paper in my journal and part of what I do in my journaling every morning is starting to identify who I am. As opposed to listening to the crazy voices in my head, I do hear voices. I'm not on medication, um, and I do hear voices. Who am I? These might be some of the words that I hope that you wrote down. I'm blessed. I'm a child of God. I'm saved. I'm a saint. I'm reconciled. I am broken. 
I am heard. I am gifted. I am a new man. I am forgiven. I'm fully adopted into the family of God. And I am loved. What did you write down? Third question. What sin issue holds you back from your journey of maturity? What sin issue, what just seems to be lingering that is intrusive? It may be something just as simple. Well, let me shut up and let you write that down before I give you the answer. What sin issue holds you back from your own journey of maturity? The young man that I sat with um, yesterday, <clears throat> uh, we started out the session and he just looks at me and I look at him and I'm thinking, first guy that speaks loses. And so we just stare at each other and it's like, I'm the taxi driver and the meter's running and I, I can just drive around if you want to. Where do you want to go? And so he said, uh, he said, uh, ask me some questions. I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> so I said, uh, are you a Tennessee fan? No, I, I could have said that, but didn't want to waste his time. So I said, uh, what are you afraid of? Let's just start out with your fear. And he talked for the next 15 minutes. Then I asked him, what creates anxiety? And he talked for another 15 minutes. So I would say, what are you afraid of? How does anxiety work in your life? How does anger work in your life? Anger is oftentimes an indicator of just your loss and your hurt. But I may ask you, what are, what are you hurting about? And you would say nothing. I said, well, how, how's your anger? Oh, my wife says I have an anger problem. I said, okay, well, then that, there's the hurt, right? It's right underneath the anger. What about your addiction issues? What do you struggle with? And once again, there's that forgiveness piece. How's that unforgiveness piece work for you? Okay. So what I want to invite you to do is uh, turn to your partner there and be as open and as transparent as you want to be or not with those three questions. Dig in, get to know somebody, and share what's come to your mind, what you've written down with a friend. Go. <laughs>
gentlemen let's pull back together and continue so guys I um, I truly believe truly believe truly believe that we need more of what you just experienced I mean I just give you a couple minutes not very much time but it is that interaction with one another that is so critical to the spiritual journey that we're on. Um, as I've said to you many times before, God speaks primarily two ways, through his word, and I hope that your Bible looks like an old baseball glove, just, you know, used over and over. You gotta restitch it and restitch it and bind it again read his word and then he speaks primarily through the person of jesus uh i i i need to get to know jesus but then he speaks through his church one another when i sit with other men and i'm open and honest it scares me to death but it brings healing to my heart we need more of that so i would say this as we work through this, the truth is 
that in order to live in this room of grace, there's five truths that I want you to consider there on your notes. Five truths of grace give us lasting answers for resolving our sin issues. And this is in contrast to, again, trying harder, trying harder. Number one, humility attracts grace. Humility. You know, part of the reason that we're afraid of those kinds of experiences that you just had in two or three minutes is that you're afraid of being judged. Understand that. Afraid of being found out, uh, afraid to come clean. Some of us are just full of pride. It's not that, not that I'm afraid of being found out. I have an image to uphold, and I need to make sure that you don't think less of me and you think of me as I have constructed the image of me so that I can continue to worship my creator, me. And that's called pride. Look at First Peter chapter 1. And we'll actually start uh, with verse 4. First Peter 5 says this, When God, who is the best shepherd of all, comes out in the open with his rule, he'll see that you've done it right and commend you lavishly. And you who are younger must follow your leaders, but all of you leaders and followers alike are to be down to earth with each other, are to be down to earth for, for each other. Guys, one of the marks of leadership, a good leader, a godly leader, is that he's just as broken as you are, if not more. And the problem with my leadership and so many leaders when we're off base is that um, we are so protective of our own pride uh, rather than saying when somebody points something out to us, yeah, you're right, but I'm actually worse than you think. I, um, I love music videos, and my good brother Scott uh, laughs at me because, you know, I, 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 I'm not nearly as uh, uh, musically uh, remembering as Scott is, and so Scott keeps me on track, but I, but I watched um, a music video that I would highly recommend to you this past weekend. There's no sports on TV now that I really want to watch. So, you know, Saturday afternoon, I watch a music video rather than a, a football game or something. And I watched uh, a documentary called The Jesus Music. Powerful, really powerful in terms of just how the Jesus music got started in the 70s and much of my own spiritual journey, uh, I remembered through this video, uh, really great. And, and one, of, uh, as, uh, um, one of the prominent people on the video is Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant. And of course, many of you will remember uh, what went on with Amy Grant. You know, she was a star as a teenager, um, Christian music, got married, and then went through a divorce. And dude, when she went through a divorce, the Christian uh, community was split. Some were grace-oriented. Some of you remember this. And others are like, oh, my goodness. Amy Grant is getting a divorce. Oh, and then, holy cow, she's going to marry Vince Gill. What is she thinking? And it was so powerful to see her weep on the video and share the story of just how 
uh, hard that was for her to be judged and mistreated in the Christian community. And her manager was interviewed and they interviewed the manager and he said, you know, you know, yeah, during that time we were trying to do everything we can as, as Amy's handlers to protect her and not put her in a really hard interview situation. And on one occasion she had an interview and I didn't get to kind of uh, uh, buffer her and, and this, in this, in this uh, uh, interviewer got the question like, Amy, what do you have to say for yourself having gone through a divorce? And he just laid it out and just, you know, uh, um, accusatory. And Amy said what I would hope I would say, what I would hope you would say, rather than go defensive, she just simply said, yeah, it's all true and it's actually worse than you think. So it's so cool. It's so cool. You know, humility, humility. Quit, quit being afraid to be found out. You know, I've got things uh, in my story, and Joe kind of alluded to that. And when you come to Deer Camp, you know, you hear my crazy broken story. Um, that when I meet with a pastor now, and I'm asked to do a men's retreat or teach a Sunday school class, I make sure they know my story. It's like, I don't want somebody to find out, like, you know, you mean you're having Phil Harden as your speaker? And, oh, and do you really know who he is? Dude, you know, I don't want to be found out. I want to be found as honoring to the Lord. Humility attracts grace. Number two, grace changes my life focus. Get out of this room, move over here. It's a lot more comfortable. Grace changes my life focus. I'm not trying to prove myself worthy. I'm trying um, to honor the king and worship the one who is worthy, worthy to be worshiped. Number three, grace lets God handle sin. I'm going to let God handle my sin rather than me trying to perform my way out of it. Number four, grace melts mass. They just start falling off. And number five, grace changes how we treat each other and our sin issues. Guys, again, we're not perfect by any means, but I have seen those truths um, at Ebenezer Place for 22 years. We've been doing, we'll start in August or in September, our 22nd year. And we've done the best that we know how by God's grace to create a place of grace so that these truths I've seen them lived out. So this, so this second piece um, is grace really does work. It's grace. We define humility as trusting God and others with me. Isn't that a great definition? Let me read that again. We define humility as trusting God and others with me. If I offer you my heart, will you treat it with respect? Because I'm afraid you'll just stomp that sucker flat. That's what I'm afraid of. If a community lacks grace, that community is low on trust. Guys, one of the beautiful things that happens at Deer Camp, those of you that have been, is Friday as everybody has some anxiety, the, the new guys, 
And by Sunday, there is just this community and this team. Um, it's a beautiful thing, and it is bound and bonded by the grace and mercy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not, not me. It's like, I, I'm just as amazed as anybody. It's like, wow, again? Again, 22 years? The grace of Jesus shows up in men's lives. Pride shuts down grace. The environment of grace provides me with truth, acceptance, healing, safety, perspective, freedom, and power that I did not know before. Don't you want some of that? Give me some of that. These realities are foundational to resolving my sin issues. I want to show you just another clip out of this whole scenario of how amazing grace came to be. And again, see the, the depth of John Newton's sin. I mean, he's, he's, he's seeing the degradation and the awful treatment of human beings, humans, image bearers of God, and God doesn't work in his life. Watch this. <laughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. John Newton, the self-proclaimed wretch and author of Amazing Grace, lived the first 30 years of his life away from God. He did not want anything to do with God and openly attempted to destroy the Christian faith. However, as his song would have you believe, he did not remain against God forever. Born to a merchant sailor in 1725, John Newton learned the sea trade and by the time he was a teenager was already an experienced sailor. However, though he loved the sea, that was not the only love of his heart. After his father retired, John began to see Mary Collette. He fell head over heels in love with her and was about to ask for her hand in marriage. but. While he was out drinking one night, was impressed into the Royal Navy. He was made a midshipman aboard the HMS Harwich and taken away from his beloved Mary for two whole years. However, his ship finally made it back to England, but for fear of desertion, the captain forbade any of his crew to go ashore. Undaunted, John slipped off the Harwich to swim back to his Mary. However, he was caught trying to desert and as a result, John Newton was brutally flogged in front of his entire crew and demoted to common seaman. Two more years passed for Newton aboard the HMS Harwich, during which time he became arrogant and insubordinate. However, on a chance encounter with a slaving vessel, John convinced his superiors to discharge him to work under the slave ship's captain. Aboard the new ship bound for Sierra Leone, Newton remained a nuisance. His behavior landed him in chains working as a slave in a lemon plantation. Newton continued to be a slave until he was rescued by a sailor who had known his father. John remained in the slaving business and became captain of his own ship, the Greyhound. He made deals with local chiefs to supply him with slaves, lived as he pleaded, did as he wanted with women, and almost forgot about Mary. He began to educate himself by reading but soon became known as one of the most hypocritical slave traders on the seven seas. 
because all he could find to read were religious books. However, John Newton continued to live in his debauchery until May 10, 1748. That day, he was sailing home to England. He encountered a vicious storm off the coast of Ireland. And in the midst of the storm, John lost all hope that he could save himself and turned to God. After the squall ended, John began to give up his debauchery. And in 1750, he married the love of his life, Mary Collette. After John Newton gave up the practice of slave trading, he learned Greek and Hebrew and then went into the ministry. John became an ordained bishop. His powerful sermons drew huge crowds to his church in Olney, and it is during this period that he made his first lasting impression on church history. During a weekly prayer meeting, he wrote Amazing Grace, the song that the church today sings over 10 million times each year. Amazing Grace is a reflection of John's life and how God had redeemed him. It preaches that forgiveness and redemption are available to any sinner through God's amazing grace. As a pastor, he was very compassionate and personal. He loved to talk to people and help them with their problems. He wrote numerous letters to different people and individuals in the church to instruct and guide them on topics ranging from divine guidance to overcoming evil thoughts. John Newton preached in only until 1780. Then he moved to London to rector the St. Mary Woolnoth Church. Again, he drew large crowds with his eloquent sermons, and among those who came to listen was William Wilberforce. It is during Newton's encounters with William that we receive the second great effect of John Newton, the abolition of international slavery. William Wilberforce often came to John Newton for guidance. William was in Parliament, but felt that his life would be better lived if he were to serve God in the church. It was John Newton who convinced William to stay in Parliament to allow God to use him where he was. William took this advice to heart and soon became a key component in the abolition of international slavery. Along with impacting William Wilberforce, John Newton in 1788 published a pamphlet against the African slave trade entitled Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade. In the paper, John gave horrific descriptions of the conditions slaves were placed in during the Middle Passage and confessed his own sin of having a hand in the industry. The pamphlet broke the silence for the long-overlooked topic of slave trading. With its purpose in mind, the paper was a huge success and swiftly required a second printing. Thoughts upon the African slave trade opened the door for people such as William Wilberforce to begin abolishing the practice of slavery. Dear God, dear God, I am a guilty man of so much. And I'm a hurt man because I have been sinned against. I feel the guilt of my own sin and I feel the hurt of being wounded by others. I just want to close with 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is the passage that many of you are familiar with where Paul's crying out, you know, heal me, heal me. Take this thorn out of my flesh. 
verse 9, 2 Corinthians 12. And then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. In your study Bible, it just reads, in your weakness, my power is perfected. Once I heard that, I was glad. I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. And now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Jesus take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Praise to Jesus. Glory to him. Thank you, Jesus. Don't be afraid to be found out. Quite the contrary. Humility, vulnerability, transparency, naked and unashamed is what Jesus offers us. Live under the banner of Jesus. Not, a, not something that you've created. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are um, humbled when we come in contact with your grace uh, that we don't deserve, that we have not earned, um, that quite the contrary, we've done so many things uh, to be cast overboard. But thank you for um, offering Jesus, your son, giving us the grace to be courageous men um, and to make our motive one of honoring you for the rest of our life and building your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great